Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Go it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live as we have another fantastic show for you here on a Tuesday as we get you ready for the A's and the Rangers game two of the three-game set. We're going to have Steve Rodriguez. He was Shea Langoliers, college coach at Baylor and currently the hitting coach at the University of Texas. He played minor league baseball. If you're a college baseball fan, he played for Pepperdine on their national championship team way back when. He will join us at 2.30. The great Fran Reardon, the manager of AAA Las Vegas Aviators, will be here at 3 o'clock. Truly one of the greatest leaders and human beings of our time. Uh, When you think of great leaders of men, I put Fran right up there with some of, of the best. Of men. Like, Leaders of men. Like Jim Harbaugh is on that list. Uh, or some other, you know, some other football coach on that list. But I put Fran right up there as one of the top baseball. Not just minor league, baseball guys I, of see, all time. I think he's above a baseball guy. You know, you got your baseball guy. He's a baseball man. He's a good baseball man. Fran is above that. Fran is a leader. It, it could be anything. I mean, he could be in Silicon Valley. He could be in D.C. He could be on Wall Street. Fran could be anywhere. I mean, that's the kind of leader Fran Reardon is, and he's going to join us at 3 o'clock. I'll give you a cliche, too. He eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball. What, 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 what was Harbaugh? Uh, I don't vacation. I don't <laughs> get sick. I'm a jackhammer. I don't celebrate holidays. Always working. Michigan football. Let's go. And then the Hall of Famer, Ford C. Frick Award winner, Eric Nadell, 
voice of the Texas Rangers. Is he joining via video? Uh, no, the only person joining via video today is actually going to be Fran. So, because we could have shown for, in honor of the teams in our division, got the Rowley Monkey, got Nolan, the Hall of Famer. That's the Hall of Famer, Nolan Ryan, right there. Snow Globes over there. There's also, a, we have a Rangers hat that I brought home from I mean, Globe I, I mean, I could care too, you know what's about the uh, Texas Rangers. Like, I, if you said to me, What's your feeling about the Texas Rangers? I literally, I got no feelings about the Texas Rangers. Like, like I hate the Astros. But I hate the Astros because of the cheating scandal. I can't stand the Angels. And this guy, the rally monk. <laughs> but I have, like, no, and I don't want to like you, right? You know, You know how, like, Certain fighters, certain people, they got to talk themselves up into hating the opponent. I have no problem with that. Normally, I can hate the opponent. I'm going to hate. I am, I will admit it. I'm a red ass. I am the hate the opponent guy. I want to hate my opponent. I want to hate. I want to I wanna demoralize you. I want to come after you. I don't want to be your friend. Rangers? Was this an ice cream thing or something? It was, yeah. My wife and I each got one. Rangers, I got to be honest with you. I have like no ill will towards it. They're the Texas Rangers, or this, they're they're this random team that's outside of Dallas and Arlington that that really no one cares about. It's about the Dallas Cowboys that play right next door to them. So when I see this, it doesn't make me angry. Yeah, it's football season now too, and the Rangers are out of it. So it's all about the Cowboys. Like nobody, like I don't care. You think I don't care about the Texas Rangers? I'm going to tell you right now. In their own market, nobody cares about the Texas Rangers. It's did, did did Dak Prescott have a sneeze today? Did anything happen with Cowboy football? That's all they care about. So, Steve Rodriguez, Shay Langelier's coach at Baylor. Fran Reardon, uh, uh, Steve Rodriguez at 2.30. Fran Reardon, 3 o'clock. Eric Nadell at 3.30. Jam-packed show. I'm excited. I don't know about you, and I mean, I shouldn't be too excited, but I'm excited, right? First of all, before you get all googly-eyed about Shay Langoliers, let me tell you what I'm excited about. Now I'm excited about Shay. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. And if I call him Shane for some reason, I keep calling him Shane. Like, What's the diamond chain, chain company? Oh, I don't know yeah, why Shane I have Co. Shane. I don't have Shane on the biz on my mind, but I keep calling him Shane. But we know it's Shay. I'm gonna tell you, J.P. Sears should excite you, the guy going tonight. And I know we're all gonna be all up about Shay, but it is J.P. Sears who should really excite you. And you might say, why? Why is that? Well, this is why. This kid has gone out and pitched on the biggest stage and had success. The Yankees traded you a player that they feel is good enough to win at the big league level when they had the best record in baseball. 
He pitched against the A's during that time. Seven games against the A's, two starts. You know why? Because they believe he can compete at this level and pitch at Yankee Stadium. So I'm not getting, like, Shea Langoliers may came up, might come up tonight, ballpark in Arlington, and look like a deer in headlights. There's been time, I mean, Pache. Pache had big league experience. He played every day, couldn't compete. Couldn't compete. Zach Logue comes up, man, eh, we've seen it, but for the most part, hasn't been able to compete. Who, who am I missing? Well, uh, left-hander. Koenig. Koenig, yeah. Couldn't compete. Adrian Martinez. Couldn't compete. Uh, Kevin Smith. Couldn't compete. This dude is legit. J.P. Sears has already competed at Yankee Stadium on the biggest stage in Major League Baseball. I know we hate the Yankees, but it is what it is. And he was doing it when the Yankees had the best record in baseball. And you don't think he's getting scrutinized every single time he took the ball? You betcha. And now he comes to Oakland, and now we're going, hey, big boy, you got a chance. Have you watched him pitch? Here, There's no fear. He's not coming here going, oh, my God, I'm in the big leagues. I listened. Uh, Power Alley, our guys Mike Farron and Jim Duquette, had Mark Kotze on today. And I'll tell you, this road trip, what I've been doing is I've been going out and just playing nine holes in the morning. Starting, I'm starting to realize I'm going to have my first ever real off season, no football, feeling good about no COVID, even though I know COVID's out there, but we the restrictions are gone. I'm going to have an off season. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm getting my game tight right now. I delayed my tea time a little bit. The starter's like, County, you got to go. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Kotze's on with, with Farron and the Duke. And Mark Kotze was talking about how it's time to – and we're going to talk to Kotze about this on Friday while he was he was holding out on us. He's going to tell XM and Sirius. He said, hey, it's time for us to show all these other, other teams we're gamers. And J.P. Sears is one of those guys. You know what? Sorry, Stephen Piscotty. We love Stephen Piscotty. Scotty, great guy, and what his family's doing, ALS, it's, it's phenomenal. Scotty wasn't competing anymore, hitting under 200. Jed Lowry hitting under 200. Sorry, we're not getting better as an organization. These guys have been paid handsomely. We wish them nothing but the best. If you haven't heard, DFA'd for Stephen Piscotty. We already knew about Jed. Love him to death, but it's time to move on. That's how this business works. Who's the next generation of ace players to get us to the next level? And I'm telling you, what I've seen, I love me some J.P. Sears. You guys are all ecstatic about Shea Langoliers. I get it. Me too. But I on the prize right now, who is the one guy that has played in Major League Baseball and played on the biggest stage and pitched his ass off so far? Who's that? J.P. Sears. Boom. And we got him. Let's see what this kid's got. I'm excited. But Langoliers, yes, I'm excited about him too. He's going to be in the lineup tonight, going to be DHing. Already I got to hear the, well, the, we're making the, oh, what about Murph? Murph's going to be fine and Murph's going to get his. But we got to see what Langoliers can do. Ninth overall pick in his draft. As much as you liked Pache, this seemed to be the guy that was the the get in the Matt Olson trade. 
19 bombs, 876 OPS at Las Vegas. Doesn't mean anything because everybody hits in Las Vegas, but let's see. He's going to DH tonight. Let's see him hit. We had him on. Oh, it wasn't on here. I was doing TV then, right? Yeah, I you, on yeah TV? You, you guys talked on TV. So I had him on TV. Seems like a nice kid when I was uh, doing it. Who was I doing it with? I think with Dave Stewart on NBC Sports California. It, let's go. It was, Stu. We were there that day. Oh, no, we weren't. You were there. I was here. Let's go. Let's see these guys. I mean, how much How much did I enjoy? I don't know how much you enjoyed. I don't know how much you enjoyed. Cal Stevenson leading off last night. Let's go. Walked twice, almost hit, hit a bomb, stole a base. I want to see these guys. I've been drilling it into all of you. Don't listen to what they've been selling about, oh, it's a young team. No, it hasn't been. What, Elvis is young? Boat's young, Lowry's young, Piscotty's young, Kemp's young, Pender's young. No, they're not. Machine, no. Loriano, no. None of the guys we've been playing on an everyday basis have been young. You know what? Now we got some young guys. Give me the young guys in the lineup tonight. Jonah Bride. Love it. Nick Allen. Love it. Langoliers. Oh. Uh, and uh, Cal Stevenson. There you go. Oh, and J.P. Sears is pitching. Ah, young guys. Young. That's young. The oldest guy out of all of them? It's 26. That's J.P. Sears and Jonah Bradder each 26. And 26 isn't young, for God's sakes. The Atlanta Braves, they're bringing up teenagers. Uh, do you want to – I can tell you real quick. The Atlanta Braves got guys that if they grew up in this country, they'd still be in high school. That may not be factually correct, but, but you know what I'm saying. Brave, the Braves – I did. I went back and looked. The Braves have six players on offense, 25, 25 or younger, and they have two of their starters in their rotation, 25 or under. Okay. Their other starters, I, I, I want to tell you how full of crap all these old baseball guys are who are trying to sell this to you, okay? And I hear them all the time. And I don't bring up their names, but I hear the crap they spew all the time. Who won the World Series last year? The Braves. Who's considered an innovator and has a great system? The Atlanta Braves. So they won the World Series last year. They're known to have a great system. And, and what did you just say about their young players? Uh, they have six guys that are 25 or younger on offense. Two games ago, two games, was it, what was it? We had every, the top six guys in our order two games ago. And then Ramon got hurt, and and Ramon, by the way, has been put on the IL. Yeah. Ramon got hurt, and they put Piscotti in. The first six guys, that would have been the final day, in Houston. Yes, Sunday. The first six guys in our lineup, the average age was over 30. And I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Because I get, oh, we're young. Oh, we're young. Oh, we're young. Where the hell are we young? We've been rolling out 28 and above all season long. By the way, average age, check it, majority of the season on baseball reference, we're one of the oldest teams in baseball. Looking at it right Facts now. Facts or fiction. Uh, right now. Because you couldn't count. I'm talking about before Nick Allen got here. Take his 23. Boop. Take him out. As of right now. Take pa- and Pache. When Pache wasn't here and Allen wasn't here, we're over 28. You're average over 28 years old on the roster. Looks like right now we are 18th in age. What's it, our average age? Uh, says right now 28.8. Right now, we average almost 29 years old, and we have broadcasters who have been trying to sell you, an analyst and whoever, that we're young. Who's the oldest team? Uh, 
I would say who's the oldest team? It's going to be a veteran team. I mean, I would probably say the Yankees. Correct. Then the Giants. Who's the youngest? I got that right. Yeah, it's the Yankees. 30.7. One for me. Who's the youngest? Let's see if you get it. Who's the youngest? Marlins. No, I'll give you a clue. They're a playoff team right now. Jays. AL Central. My, my, my Guardians? Your Guardians. The average age my of the Guardians. Cleveland the Cleveland Guardians' average age, on, according to Baseball Reference, for their, their hitter is 26. The next youngest is the Pirates at 26.6, and they're 31 game, 30 games under, or almost 30 games under 500, and here's the Guardians who are a playoff team. If you didn't, weren't paying attention yesterday, I uh, we had to pick teams that we're rooting for from here on out. My National League team is the Fightins. I'm going with the Phillies. They won yesterday. And then my American League team, I'm going with the Guardians. Split a doubleheader. You know all the connections I have to the great city of Cleveland. It, it, both teams I picked yesterday both lost, the Brewers and the Astros. Both lost. I mean, I've been to Cleveland. I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So have I. I've interviewed Ray Fossey at Heritage Park at his plaque. I'm doing it for Foss. That's what I'm doing. The Guardians for Foss. Um, yeah, young. Finally. Like, can we get some young guys, please? Some young guys. You My the, God. Do you know what the average age of our pitchers is? Oh, it's it's got to be 30s. Uh, the oldest is the Mets, actually. The A's, our average age for pitchers is 28.2. We're actually towards the bottom in, like as in youngest. Guardians, again, 26.4. Stupid. Just stupid. You got to be young, man. You got to be young. But, I mean, it was a weird offseason, so I get it, where – you had the lockout, how we we got to build a team real fast. I'll give you the pass, right? You give me the pass. But now, let's get these guys' feet wet. This was what it's like to be in the big leagues. This is what it's like to travel. This is what it's like to, to be a professional on the road at home. This is what it's like to be on the plane. This is what it's like to do all the things you need to do. These are the media requirements. This is how PR, because none of this happens in the minor leagues, right? Triple A, they're playing five-game series. I mean, this is what, you know, this is Chris Townsend over here doing A's cast live on the field. you got to go talk to him. This is the writers. This is what, you know what, if you mess up, writers are going to ask you after the game. Got to have a good answer. Can't throw people under the bus. You have to learn how to be a professional is my point. So get these guys up here. Let them learn and see what it's like so when they go to spring training, they're ready to compete. They're ready to understand what is being a big leaguer mean. How I got to dress, how I got to act, what does the paycheck look for? Uh, you know, how do I handle all this new money? You know, how do I make sure I'm protecting myself? You got to put boundaries around you. Boundaries is a, is a big thing for you. Anybody who has success, you need to have boundaries because everybody's going to want a, a piece of you. you got to have boundaries to keep them out. Only let the right people inside your castle. you got to have a big moat with alligators outside. You only let the drawbridge down when it's the right people. Otherwise, keep those alligators in the moat and keep the bad people out. you got to learn this stuff. Do I need to bring up Fernando Tatis Jr. again? You need to learn at a young age how to be a pro. 
And if they're going to keep a Stephen Vogt around, get in his ear. Shea Langoliers. I, I don't know this at all. How much you want to bet Langoliers' locker will be next to Stephen Vogt's in the clubhouse? I think that's a safe bet. All right. Hey, talk to this guy. Multiple-time All-Star, World Series champion, hell of a human being. Learn from Stephen Vogt. Ask him. Why? Because Stephen Vogt, hell, he may be your manager someday. That's how good Stephen Vogt is. Stephen Vogt could be a manager in Major League Baseball someday. Learn from him. It's like a golden opportunity. Pick his brain. Follow him around. See what he eats. That's what I would do. If you called me up, if I was running the show, I would say put put Langoliers next to vote and tell Langoliers, you just follow this guy around. Have a a pen and paper and whatever he says, write it down. Learn. Keep your mouth shut, your ears open, and learn because you'll learn a lot from this guy. And he wants to teach you. See, that's a great thing. And I'm sure Murph's going to be cool. I mean, Murph's not the biggest personality guy in the world, let's be honest. But still, you're kind of competition with Murph. You're not competition with Vote. Vote Vote will be there. He knows his job is there to help Murph and to help you. You're Langoliers. Go talk to Vote. Go talk to Vote. It's almost like the uh, modern-day Crash Davis and uh, Tim Robbins' character in Bull Durham. Remember how he talks about to speak to the media, things like that? We laugh about those things, but that's actually what happens. And I think vote could be a great. That actually was something that was very bad. I remember the first time we did Lou Trevino, and he gave me all cliches. It was like basically Bull Durham. I'm just ha- here to happy. I'm just here to help the ball club. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Come on, bro. You got to be a human being. Be yourself. Don't have to give me cliches. I'm not here to attack you. I'm not throwing you under the bus. It's not hot take Tuesday. I'm not trying to. I'm not breaking any news on social media. Let's just have a conversation. But. Um, Short Langoliers eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball, too. It's like Fran. The great Fran Reardon. There's another cliche for you. <laughs> the great Fran Reardon. Uh, A's made history yesterday. I don't know how many of you are listening to the postgame show. The A's, with now three different losing streaks of nine games or more, have joined the 1937 Philadelphia Athletics, who had a nine-game and two ten-game losing streaks. So hopefully the A's can end that today with the young guys and J.P. Sears on the mound. That's something that I will really, really enjoy tonight, watching young guys and the A's get her done. And now we got, now we're starting, and David Forrest, I don't know if we'll talk to him on Friday or not, but he said it was coming, and we're now starting to see it. We're now starting to sit. We're now starting to get the younger guys, and what what can the young guys do? What can they do? They can energize us, the fan base. We can start seeing hopefully the future. This gets us excited. What if Langleyers comes up and just starts raking? What if you bring Pache back up and he's figured it out? Allen is homered in two straight games. Like all of a sudden, you start seeing the stuff. Like, oh man, look at. This J.P. Sears guy, right? Then you start saying, well, if you got Cole Irvin, you got Paul Blackburn, you got James Caprillion, you got J.P. Sears, that gives me four starters, right? 
got a fifth? I mean, now we can start talking about, hey, this offseason starts to get interesting. Spring training starts getting interesting. Now you got guys actually show up to spring training to win jobs. Does that not excite you? It excites me. That's what I want. And we got a lot to talk about. How about uh, the matchup today? Justin Verlander against Dylan Cease. What time? Is that a 5 o'clock start at the same time as our game? Probably because it's on, at Central Time Zone in Chicago. South side of Chicago. It is, according to Elias Sports Bureau, just the third matchup of starting pitchers with sub two ERAs, minimum of 20 starts, since the mound was lowered in 1969. Dusty Baker on Monday started talking about Koufax, Marichal, Drysdale, Gaylord Perry. You might have heard all these guys are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Fergie Jenkins. Hall of Famer. The last time this happened... 2018, Chris Sale against DeGrom. And 2000 and, excuse me, 1985, I would have been in eighth grade. The great John Tudor against the great Dwight Gooden. Gooden would have been still in his teenage years, right? Uh, No, because they won the World Series in 86. He was... He was in the All-Star game in 84. I'd probably say he's like 20, 21, around that, around there. He would have been, yeah, 21. He was. Yeah. He, he would have turned 20 the the November of 1984. So still, he's still pretty young. Because <laughs> so he, did he pitch in the, when he pitched at the All-Star game at Candlestick Park, was that 84? He you, was. You weren't even born. Yeah, my mom was just getting out of high school. Uh, he was an All-Star in 84, 85, 80, and 86. That was one of those years. Yeah, yeah one of those years he was there. Because he won the World Series in 86 with the Mets. Yeah, won the and he had already been there a couple of years. He won 24 games in 1985. Oh, I mean, he's a great oh, – by the way, uh, why didn't the Mets keep Dwight Gooden into the minor leagues for 15 – for 500 innings pitched? Because he's pretty good. No, that's a mistake. They shouldn't have pulled him up at twenty. At twenty years old, he was twenty-four and four with a one point five three ERA. Won the Cy Young. Oh, by the way, how many complete games did he have that year? Oh my God! Did he go to the hospital? He had sixteen. Yeah, sixteen. Sixteen. You're not getting a Dwight Gooden again. By the way, you're never. Got, oh, I was thinking about this. Do I have? Who do I have today? Do I have Roxy? Do I have Vince? Uh, Roxy was Vince yesterday. I'm pretty sure. Vince made a point to me that. I don't know if I've told the uh, fan base out there. I walk every night. It's a ritual that I've had for a very long time. I live across the street from a park, and my park has a dirt track around it that during the day everybody's running and walking their dog and doing their laps, and two laps is a mile. So I walk every night before I go to bed. And I think about a lot of stuff. I think about Cody and how Cody can improve. You know, a lot of stuff about Ace Cast Live. And Vince said something about, I know Cap has it in him. Because James Caprillion has a streak now that you don't want to have. 30 straight starts of six innings or less. 30. It's never happened before for an A starter in Oakland, where a guy has only gone six innings 
or less in that many starts. Um, what time is it? 227. We'll get back to this. But Vince Catronio said something that made me think, and I think I have the answer why it's not happening. I'll have that for you. And also, the former coach for Shea Langoliers, what are we getting with this guy? You're going to find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, we, we can also ask Steve Rodriguez, former head coach of Baylor, being not a, a, a tall guy, and you can talk to him about Nick Allen. As Steve got some time in the big leagues with the Red Sox and the Tigers, this man was the head coach for Shea Langoliers. Of course, Shea had a great college career. Uh, The ninth overall pick, Rushman was the only guy, only catcher drafted ahead of him. And, you know, ninth overall pick, and obviously, if you're going to trade Matt Olson, and you're going to, you know, you're going to the Atlanta Braves, you're going. I need talent. As much as we looked at Christian Pache as a big part of the deal, Shane Langoliers was a huge part of this trade with Matt Olson. Uh, do we have Steve? Steve, are you there? Yes, sir. I am. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm I'm trying to tell everybody what kind of baller you were back in the day with the Pepperdine Waves as. Uh, uh, I'm a relic myself. I played against you in college and trying to tell everybody all American. You guys won the national title. You're on ESPN. I mean, you had a great college career. You got to the big leagues. Now you've been a coach for a long time. So I've been trying to build you up, telling everybody what kind of player you were. You were fantastic. And I know as a coach, you've had a lot of success. And I know this has to mean a lot to you. One of your players is debuting tonight, Shea Langoliers, in Major League Baseball. It's a big deal. It, it's a really big deal. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, there's very few. I mean, college coaching is such a great and rewarding occupation just because you, you literally get to change kids' lives. You have an opportunity to 
be very influential uh, with where they are in their life and, and getting them on like the right track to in regards to work ethic and regards to failure and overcoming things and uh, being able to do that. And it's been a lot of fun. And I, I tell people all the time, um, when you get a kid who's called up to the big leagues, uh, there, there's a sense of pride in it just because you know everything that that young man has gone through in his college career and in his high school career and sometimes in his professional career. And you start to realize how hard they worked and the success that they had and some of the ups and downs and the things they, they had to grind through. And then they get to uh, get that phone call and say, hey, you're getting called up to the big leagues. Uh, those are just amazing things. Shay called me last night. Um, I always have a rule that says, after you call your parents, when you get called up, you better call me. <laughs> and so he called and I was like, either, you know, either somebody's pregnant or he got called up. So, uh, and what's funny is he, he said that exact thing. He's like, coach, I owe you a phone call. And I, I just started screaming and he was laughing and, um, but it was such a neat, it was a neat phone call. And I want to, I want to try to get up there tomorrow to go see him. Well, you know, when you have a player, you know, and I think about you as a coach, you got certain guys you love who are just great college players and they help you win games and you know they're getting their education and they're going to go off to be great young men and have uh, be productive people in society. But then you got players who you know, uh, you know, from your time being in the big leagues and in minor league baseball, you, you kind of can see, wow, this guy's going to have a shot. When did you know Shea was a guy that's going to have a shot at having a career, it's not always easy. Doesn't always work out, but he's gonna have a shot at it. I'll tell you what. Um, when he was a freshman, and I saw him throw down the first couple times, uh, the fact that I mean he has tremendous arm strength. Uh, but the fact when when he I mean he started as a freshman at Baylor, um, you know, in the Big Twelve uh, against some I mean outstanding competition. He was our starting catcher. And when you saw him really take over the game from behind the plate, um, the accuracy with which uh, what he would throw and uh, down to second base and just the sheer amount of runners he would throw out while the guy was still running, um, not even sliding yet. And it was at that time when guys would when school when schools would stop running against you just because they didn't want to run into outs. Um, that's when you knew you had something pretty special back there. And he was doing that from his freshman year on. And the bat obviously has played in minor league baseball. I mean, it's tough to look at the numbers, especially at AAA where everybody seems to hit. So it's like that the hitters are not as good as their numbers and the pitchers aren't as bad as their numbers, just the way it works with Vegas and the desert air and play, <laughs> playing in elevation and wind and other spots. But what are we getting offensively? Offensively, I'll tell you what, his last year, I mean, the last couple of games, even when we were in the regional, I think he had 11 RBIs, three home runs. Uh, you have a young man who has just a, amazing instincts at the plate and he has ability to recognize pitches. And, um, you know, you're going to see a guy with great power. He, he was actually my best bunner. He could handle the bat probably the best also, but with a guy like like you said, like he has tremendous power and you don't want to have him bunning. But when we would do a lot of our skill stuff, he was one of the best. And when you have guys like that and who are selfishly like, hey, I will bun if you need me to because he can. And uh, offensively, you're you're really going to like what you see because he has great patience. Uh, he can re he can really hit and he hits balls hard. 
I've always said about catchers, it's such a unique position because it's the only position where you're looking out at everybody and everybody's looking into you. It just it's a it's a leadership role. It is what it is. It's like a quarterback in football. You're controlling the defense, you're controlling the defensive signs, you're calling the pitches with the pitcher. You need to know every pitcher on the staff. You need to know what makes them tick. Uh, you know, some pitchers, you know, are more gutsier than others. You need to know how guys are under pressure. There's so much that's put on a catcher that he's got to be smart. He's got to be cerebral. He has to be more than just a talented guy. So as a field general, what kind of kid is he? You know what? He reminded me of uh, Pudge Rodriguez. And I know those those are those are big shoes to talk about. But when I was, uh, I played in Puerto Rico with Pudge and he always just told me um, when a guy was stealing, he just kept telling me, don't be late uh, to cover the base. Just don't be late. Um, and I, once he threw down one time and I realized, man, I got to get there early because the ball is getting there at such a rapid pace. And when I had to play against him, when I was with the, uh, when I was with the Tigers and he was with the Rangers and he backpicked me and he looked at me and he kind of wagged his finger kind of like uh, one of the basketball players would do, like, don't, you know, you're not going to do that here. Um, and he was kind of laughing while he did it. Um, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. But Shea is that kind of like, he is the guy who he sees a lot of things. He's going to uh, recognize infielders they want to pick. He's going to recognize things that pitchers are doing and being able to help them. Uh, his his baseball IQ is off the charts. And I think people are really going to like um, just kind of how he manages things. I mean, I know he went down to a knee to start throwing. and um, I can tell you right now, I don't care if he's standing on his head, the way he manages the game with his arm is pretty impressive. What was that like being at second base and Pudge Rodriguez is throwing that heater? That ball had to be coming harder than any <laughs> other catcher. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's like he was Nolan Ryan behind the plate. Well, the first time he, he threw down, I thought the ball was going to hit the dirt. I thought it was going to skip, and it didn't, and it got me right in the wrist. And he kind of looked at me, and I was like, yeah, okay, I got it now. Like, this, this ball's going to carry true, and it's going to do it for a while. So um, I just got to make sure that I catch the ball a little more out front and not let it get to me. Um, but it, it's very similar to that. Like, the ball just doesn't die. Most catchers have a ball that are kind of fading um, as it gets to second base, and just like just like Shay's, like Pudge's just kept going through. And uh, it actually, it almost keeps rising as it's, it's going towards you. That's how, that's how much arm strength he has. Our manager in AAA, Fran Reardon, was on this program a while ago. And we we're talking about the guys. He was talking about Shay, and he goes, you know, one thing you're not, you know, one thing you're not going to believe, but he's really fast. And forget trusting me, StatCast says he's really fast for a catcher. So we're, we're getting a guy with some wheels. Uh, he, believe it or not, I mean, he was running six, eight, six, seven, sixties while he was here. Um, and I mean, he, he gained so much strength in, in his lower half, um, just during, during his time when I was at, as at Baylor and he, um, uh, he was actually, I mean, he was one of those guys where you would look at him and you wouldn't see he was fast. The next, thing you know, he's stealing several bases and I, he kind of loved it because nobody would think that he would run. And he was able to steal quite a few bags just because he does have speed, but he just doesn't look like it. Well, I got to tell you, we're, we're, we're all really excited about him. And, you know, my last question on him, you know, when you start talking about catchers, 
for some reason, we have 8,000 catchers in our system, including Sean Murphy, who's 27, just won a gold glove and hits in the middle of our order. I've been saying find a spot for him. DH him like he is tonight. Can he play the outfield? I know he played a couple games for you in the outfield. We just talked about his speed. Where do you think I need to find him at bats? Where do you think I could put him other than catcher? You can put him at first base. You can put him at third. You can put him in the outfield. Um, shoot, you, you can put him anywhere. He, he's an unbelievable athlete. And that's what's great is that uh, you can put good athletes anywhere and they're going to find a way they know how to play the game they know what the position looks like and they're going to be able to do it Shay Langliers is that guy you can put him anywhere and you're going to be just fine you know we have I, I want to get some advice for a guy that we have right now Nick Allen Nick Allen was a third round pick he had signed to go to USC decided to sign with the A's He's a shorter shortstop second baseman. So, you know, his entire life, people have been saying things to him because of his size. I think about your size is very similar. What advice do you have for a guy that is trying to make it in the big leagues and he plays up the middle and people have always tried to evaluate him on his size? (laughs) Um, I think the biggest thing is, like, you're going to – I always tell people when you're a little smaller, guys are going to constantly tell you what you can't do. Um, And then when you're taller, guys are always going to talk about what you can do. And so the biggest thing is like understanding who you are as a player and then being able to maximize each and every one of those skills. Um, if, If you're a defensive guy, if you're a speed guy, if you're a hit for average guy, just be really, really good at that. You know, if they're saying, hey, we want you to hit for more power, but just understand, like, you can try that, but your other skill set might start to falter. Uh, and the biggest thing is just be as, as uh, versatile and be the biggest utility guy you can possibly be because the more options you have, the more opportunities you're going to have. Well, continued success there at Texas. We appreciate the time, and uh, uh, maybe we'll be talking more to you about Shangling Aliers and hopefully a very long, productive career with the Oakland Athletics. Thank you so much for your time. I'll tell you what, you are going to love him as a player, but when you have a chance to talk to him, it's going to even be better because he's such a great young man. Yeah, you be well. Take care. All right, thank you. That guy right there is one of the great college baseball players, was a national champion at Pepperdine. Remember when Pepperdine beat Phil Nevin and Cal State Fullerton, if you know college baseball way back when, and uh, was head coach at uh, Pepperdine, then Baylor, obviously coaching Shay Langoliers. So, guy's been around, made to the big leagues as a uh, tiny middle infielder. Boy, at pop, could run, he could do it all. And Nick Allen is starting to see that. But there's your news, folks. If there was anything you could take out of that interview, what is it? You can play him anywhere. Boom. Don't. What, what, what? What do you mean can't play outfield? What do you mean can't? I'm going to listen to that guy. I'm going to listen to his old coach. He says he can play first base. He can play outfield. I want Langoliers in the lineup. He played both in college, outfield and first base. I, I don't I, I put it. Put him at shortstop. I don't care. I want to see him hit. Imagine playing. Hey, have you ever played shortstop? No. Well, you're playing there today in the big leagues. <laughs> it's the Scott Hatterberg effect. Shortstop. Run Washington. Have you ever played center field? No. Well, you're playing there yeah. today. You think anyone thought Aaron Judge could play center field? He's six. What six nine? Six ten? How yeah, tall is he's he? He's six seven. He's somewhere up there. He's a power forward roaming center field. 
He's basically Draymond, and he's bigger than Draymond Green. Uh, real quick about Rodriguez, because um, we have to ask every time we talk to a guy you face in college, did he ever take you deep? Mm-hmm. Confirmed? It's confirmed. <laughs> so it's not what him, um, Giambi. Giambi. Those are two guys who that. Those are two guys. I gave up. I, I can. Yeah, I gave up a bomb to the guy we just talked to. Uh, I gave up a bomb to Giambi. Didn't give up a bomb to Nevin or Kotze. Yeah, I intentionally walked Kotze. Take Kotze didn't got a hit. He got a hit off everybody else. Didn't get one off me. Struck out AJ Hinch. Ooh, I owned AJ Hinch. Go back and look at my numbers against AJ Hinch because I, I faced him multiple times. AJ Hinch probably had. Eight to ten at-bats off of me? I don't know where to find. I, we've been trying he to find He has a bunt base hit off me. That's it. And that's when I screamed at him. I called him some choice words for <laughs> bunting on me as the number three hitter All-American. I called him some names. And then I pumped a stripe fastball by him with the bases loaded one time. It was great. 3-2 three, count. 3-2 three, count. Here you go, AJ. You against me. Sunken diamond. This is what I got. I pumped it by him. So there's a big leaguer I got. I still love the Giambi story though. That one's that one's gonna. That's an all time. Oh, I blew I I blew a fastball by Giambi on a Saturday. Went back to the well. The same pitch. He so at the old field at so they play at Blair Field now. It's a ballpark that's had minor league baseball for years there in Long Beach. Uh, there's a golf course there where, like Fred Couples used to play all the time when he was. Um, I don't know why Fred was there, but. Because Fred grew up in Seattle, but there's some connection to Fred Couples in that golf course. And uh, it's called Blair Park, and it's Blair Field. But part of the time, Long Beach would play on campus. And right on campus, they had this huge ballpark. And in right field, they had their cages. So you had a huge field, big fence, and cages. Saturday, boom, I blow up by Giambi. Giambi's an All-American. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Sunday, same thing. Giambi took me over the batting cages. Over the batting cages. That's got to be for probably close to 500 feet. First thing I think of is the line from Rick Vaughn in Major League. Last time I did that, the ball the guy hit, the guy hit a ball that hasn't landed yet. That yeah. sounds, like what happened, sounds like what happened with Giambi. <laughs> or you could say I threw hard enough that I supplied the power. Okay, yeah, I can see that. The velocity and then the exit velocity. I had a little velo. I'm not. Guys in my era didn't throw 98. No one threw 98, all right? If you could throw 90, you were considered to throw hard. Well, who was one of the hardest throwers? Randy Johnson. Well, he was already in the majors, but, I mean, I'm thinking of college guys back then in the 80s. And You tell, you tell me who in the late 80s, early 90s was pumping 98. Ben McDonald was the number one pick in the draft. He would throw like 93, and people thought that was gas. Well, Randy Johnson didn't throw 98 to 100 when he was? I don't know. That was back. That was – Randy Johnson's way older than I am. Well, I know, but he would he – I know this. Jack Del Rio, the head football coach of the Raiders back in the day, now defensive coordinator for the Redskins. I did TV with Jack Del Rio. He caught Randy Johnson at USC, said no one knew where it was going. He didn't know where it was going as the catcher. I mean, he was scary. So I don't think Randy Johnson threw as hard because he had such control problems. He, he turned out to have a nice little career after he yeah, figured, he it, figured out. it out. But, yeah, Jack Del Rio said, USC baseball, Ron Dato was a legendary coach. He, Jack Del Rio, was a really good catcher. He was an All-American linebacker, first-round pick uh, in football. 
Rose Bowl MVP. But he said he's catching Randy Johnson in college. He didn't know where it was going. Umpire didn't know where it was going. And the hitter had no idea where it was going. That is a scary, scary thing. And they played on the same team with Mark McGuire. That was in the mid-'80s, right? Mid to early-'80s. I was going to look to see what RJ's, uh, the big unit stats were uh, his first couple of years. Let's see. First year in Montreal, 1988, when they appeared in 26 innings. They walked seven guys. He didn't start getting really, really good until later in his career with Seattle. But still, oh, there's a couple of years. Three years in a row he led the league in. Wait for it. Walks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what do you expect? You're 6'10". It's not like he's throwing like it. Can you imagine if, if Randy Johnson at 6'10 threw from up here, how hard it would be to throw strikes? I mean, he had to come three quarters because of how tall he was. Do you know how far the ball how would have to go down for him to throw the ball down to throw a strike at, at a release point at 6'10"? Yeah. I mean, how, how far would the ball have to go down? I mean, gravity's already helping you, but, I mean, when you think about it, by the time, as, as a guy who's 6'10", by the time that your right foot would be the foot that hits the mound, I mean, that, that's coming down the mound. For him, it's his right foot. By the time he's getting his chest over his right foot and his arms coming out and he releases the ball, how close is he to home plate at that point? A lot closer than people think. Scary close. It's almost like he can touch the glove. Yeah. Well, from how tall he is and where his arm is, if he was coming at a standard over-the-top delivery, that ball would really have to, like, travel when you talk about vertically and horizontally. The where that would have to come down would be crazy if he didn't come from three quarters. I was looking at his stats, too. The, when I said he led the league in walks three years in a row. His third year leading the league in walks, he also led the league in strikeouts. It made me think of Dylan Cease, who has a historic matchup tonight with Verlander. Leads the league in walks. He's second in the American League in strikeouts. Um, he's 6'2". He's not 6'10", like Randy Johnson was. So I, can, I, I, I understand what you're talking about with the, where he's releasing, how close he's to home plate, because we don't see guys that are that tall. I mean, who's the tallest pitcher in baseball right now? The, the Giants had a guy, Sean Jelly, who was, I think, 6'10", but there's not a lot of big – you know, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, starters like we had back in the day with Randy Johnson. John Roush was a big guy. Chris Young, the GM of the Rangers, was a tall – well, he's a basketball player at Princeton. But yeah, Chris Young had that problem. He was way over the top, and he, he only threw 88. Yeah, he didn't throw hard. He didn't throw hard. Randy Johnson's throwing 100 miles an hour. So that's why when you think vertical, and for you people watching, vertical, horizontal – and this dude, 6'10", coming down, you, of course he'd have to come from here just so he could get it in to throw a strike. But then think once he got it, and you think the vertical and horizontal, that slider that he had, that I mean, it would have been easier for left-handers to see him if he would have come from over the top. But come, he came, by the time Randy Johnson was coming down the mound, as a left-handed hitter, you're first seeing the ball, it looks like it's behind your head. That's why lefties are like, oh, my God. Can you imagine a guy throwing 100 miles an hour and it looks like he's releasing it behind your head? John Crook at the All-Star game on the phone. <laughs> I mean, that's scary stuff because, I, I mean, I can't imagine. T- just think if you're a left-handed hitter at 
UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, Stanford, whatever. You're playing in the Pac-10 back then, and you got a left-hander on the mound throwing high 90s, and he's got zero clue where it's going. You want to get in that box? I mean, this is your life, for God's sakes. Guy's throwing, and, I mean, he's not trying to hit you in the head, but oops. And it's not like you can get away with it. I mean, guy's throwing that hard, and it's coming right at your nugget, coming at your neck, side of your head. I mean, you can't you can't get away from that. Uh, Randy Johnson, you know, I think when I think of Randy Johnson, I think Giants legend Randy Johnson, uh, batting average against lefties in their career, 199. See, that's so disrespectful that you'd even do that. What? I think of Astros legend Randy Johnson. <laughs> you don't think of Astros legend? What, was he only there for like half a season? Yankee legend. Oh, yeah. The Yankee. At least he won his 300 game with the Giants, so he has some career relevancy with them. I mean, he, I, the video so game So he New went to Seattle, Houston, D-backs, Yankees, Giants. Did he push for anybody else? My, don't forget, oh, Montreal, Don't great. forget Montreal. My God. I apologize to the big unit. Well, he did go 10-1 with a 128 ERA and 11 starts for Houston that year. Yeah. That's really He was good. incredible. Like, people are like, dude, you should be the Cy Young Award. And then all of a sudden, um, can I give you a news alert? Who would the Astros lose in the playoffs? The Astros were the favorite to win the World Series. Who would they lose in the playoffs to? The Padres. And who matched Randy Johnson and actually outpitched Randy Johnson? Kevin Brown. Steroid alert. You trying to tell me Kevin Brown? Kevin Brown. Kevin you're trying to tell me Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown all of a sudden is throwing 100 miles an hour and the ball's moving like all over. And you're like, "Oh, you're trying to tell me this dude's not on something?" Kevin Brown was allegedly cuz he never tested positive. You're talking about Oriole legend Kevin Brown? Kevin uh, Brown was by the time by his lap by the time he was in Florida, remember? I was actually at Candlestick Park when he threw his no-hitter against the Giants. Uh, Kevin Brown, by the time he got to Florida, was so on PEDs. And then what he did in San Diego, he w- and then went to L.A., gets the $100 million contract, the first site, you know, $100 million contract, and then fell apart. He was so on PEDs, it was unbelievable. 1998, he won 18-7 and with a 2-3-8 ERA and 35 starts. Uh, he was. Finished third in the Cy Young. All of a sudden, he's up there and he's just huffing and puffing, and the and the and the and the veins are popping out of his neck. <laughs> Come on, uh, thirty-three years old. If anybody saw Big Poppy talking about Fernando Tatis, I know we don't have time for that right now. Remind me, if you ever want to see a guy who got away with it and then making a statement to help another player, oh my God. Cody sent this to me, and I went, this screams, this is a dude that got away with it, and he has just made a comment about a guy who's tested positive and doesn't like to see it because he, too, is a face of baseball because Poppy was one of the faces of baseball. You had no problem throwing A-Rod under the bus because he didn't like A-Rod, right? It's almost like politics, who we want to destroy and who we don't. It's 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 crazy what Big Poppy had to say about Fernando Tatis. It just shows like you allowed this guy to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, my God. We've got to talk about this. This con this this quote reeks cheating reeks cheating. Am I wrong? 
on this tease? No, when I when I sent it when I read it and sent it to you, I was like, I can't believe he's saying this. I it's just like, oh my god, we allow this guy to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Why am I against cheating? Why? Because it's cheating. It's cheating. There's no there's no wiggle room here. You either take it or you don't. And if you do, you should be punished. That's re- it's against the rules. And you know what? When you get popped, start stop trying to get yourself out of it. You tested positive. You have a steroid in your system. Stop trying to give me excuses why you have a steroid or performance enhancing drug in your system. I got caught cheating. Teacher caught me. You got me. I remember I got, I can't remember what grade it was. I got caught cheating. I was sitting there like, oh, well, uh, I didn't make it. Oh, you got me. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble after school, whatever happened to me. I mean, you got, you got caught. You think that this is going to go away? You know, my dad, no, my dad was a big leaguer. Now he's saying, uh, no, you took it. Deal with it. You knew the punishment. I don't care how. You're 23. You're not a child. And that's the other thing. We're acting like he's a child. He's 23. You're a grown man. You're grown enough to sign a 14-year, $340 million contract. If you're grown enough to sign your name onto a 14-year contract, you're grown enough to know better or not with steroids. Case and point up next but we will get to the big poppy because it just shows you big poppy so dirty yeah all you boston fans that's why i want bonds to be brought up again with aaron judge too many of these guys have either gotten away with it or it's really been brushed over not right not right we talk to the great friend reared next right here on a's cast live this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Waldachuk. How does he look? Because you know we're going to see him. He is the other part of the Yankee trade. Left-hander, St. Mary's. Can't wait. Did you know that Fran Reardon is the 25th manager for the Las Vegas franchise? I mean, they've been different names. Did you know that? 
I did not know that. But he's here, so you can ask him about, about the honor of that, what that means. As we said, he probably wasn't listening. Fran, I don't know if you got called this, but we, 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 we said earlier today, you're one of the greatest leader of men we have ever seen. The great Fran Reardon. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, that means a lot. How are you? How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Just uh, here in Sacramento, getting ready to play the, the River Cats tonight. Well, you, you, I, I know how much these conversations have, what they mean to you, and you've had them over the years, and it's one of the great things about your job. When you got to tell Shay Langoliers that he's going to the big leagues, what was it like? It was it was incredible. I mean, Shay's such a, such a great dude, such a great player, and, you know, his teammates love and respect him so much and what he does on the field and what he does off the field to be able to give a guy that news for the first time and to, to see the shock, the, the enjoyment, the culmination of uh, an entire life of really hard work to get to the point that he was at. And then the realization that it's happening, you know, and to see all of those emotions go across a, a man's face in the matter of 10 seconds is like you said, the best part of my job. And uh, you know, it was, it was really special to tell Shay he was going up. And he's really earned it, too, when you look at the standpoint of how long he's been down there with you, uh, what he did in the Futures game, the, the season that he's having. You know, I mean, he, you look at the numbers. We talked, to you, we talked to you a long time ago about how fast he is on StatCast. I mean, wouldn't you say his production and everything he's done and the time that he spent there for you, he's earned this promotion? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's that's one thing that he has been so great at this year. You know, you, you look at his numbers, you look at the overall body of work, but you look at the consistency and to, to see the consistency consistency that he displays. You, you do have to watch him play every day, but it's there every day. He brings it every day. He doesn't take days off. He doesn't take pitches off. He doesn't take innings off. He doesn't give away at bats. He's always the same guy. And when you're you're looking to, at a young player, if you're looking at a catcher that's going to have a great major league career, uh, I think that's the one word that you have to put at the forefront when you describe Shea is his consistency, his consistency in manner, his consistency in play, and the fact that you can trust him to do whatever needs to be done on a baseball field to help a team win. How good do you think or what do you think the ceiling is for him offensively? You know, Think that he's only going to get better with time, with experience, with at bats, seeing pitches, um, uh, you know, figuring out what his zone is, where he can do the most damage, and he's made it a point to work on that, and he's been consistent in his work, consistent in his routine. So you talk, you talk about his ceiling. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him as far as being an offensive catcher. Um, he has power. Uh, he, his swing is simple and leveraged, and he he you know uses his lower half really well to drive the baseball. And most importantly, he consistently hits the ball hard. And if you're consistently hitting the ball hard and you have a simple leverage swing that's got strength, you're going to have success. And I, I think that he's going to have a lot of success offensively. How often do you have a guy that you're watching him every day and you're writing the lineup card out and you basically say to yourself, hey, there's nothing else this guy can do down here. I mean, this guy's ready. How often does that happen? You know, it, it's, it's tough to say instance-wise because you, you have guys that are hot for a week. You have guys that are hot for two weeks. But 
it happens when you see a guy consistently perform over a month and a half, two months, three months, an entire season where you ask your question, okay, this, this guy's done everything that the, the organization, that this team, that the Oakland A's have asked him to do. And my opinion is that he's ready to, to get an opportunity in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, that was definitely the case for Shea. It, he's been big league ready for a while now, but, you know, I think he did need to be seasoned up a little bit more as far as getting the at-bats in AAA, and I think it's only going to help him further along in his career. But, yeah, it does happen every once in a while where you're just looking at your lineup and you're looking at the quality of play on any given player who happens to just be very consistent over a couple months and say, okay, this guy's ready. Let's go. Now the question, obviously, with Big Murph being the catcher and – and Shea is going to be the DH tonight. We just had his college coach on. We know that and at Baylor he did play a few games in the outfield. So if he is not to play catcher, where do you think you could fit him on the diamond so we can get that bat into the lineup? Well, the, the beauty about Shea is athleticism. You know, he's, a, he's a catcher by trade. It's something that he's worked his entire life to be elite at. But he's so athletic, you could you could put him in a corner outfield position. He would need some work, and to do it in the big leagues may be a little bit of a stretch. But he's so athletic that he could get acclimated to left field, right field, first base. Um, you, you hit some ground balls at him and maybe put him at third base in a pinch. But you also have something special defensively behind the dish. And believe me, I'm well aware of, of Murph's abilities back there. I, I've managed him quite a bit coming up through our system, and yeah, he's the best. He's 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 an incredible player. Um, so yeah, to, to figure out a way to get both Murphs catching his bat and, and Shea's bat into the lineup, that's going to be a, a puzzle that that Cots is going to have to kind of figure out and put together. But it's uh, it's a good problem to have. Well, Soderstrom, Susak, we got other guys coming your way. We're going to need to make some rule where we can play more than one catcher a game. Well, you you have athletic catchers and then you have flexibility we went through a stretch last year in in las vegas where we had four catchers on the roster and every, <laughs> every one of them played every day for three weeks in different spots so you know if, if there's a way to figure out how to get these guys in the games we'll do it we got a buddy who's a veteran broadcaster that has said multiple times and i'm just and i don't know the answer to this i, I want to get your opinion who has said that the divide between the big leagues and AAA is bigger than it's ever been. Do you agree with that? I, I do, based on based on what I've seen the last couple of years. Um, and I, I don't know how, how it relates to the pandemic. I don't know how it relates to guys missing a, a, a full year in 2020 if they, they weren't attending an alternate site. Uh, but the, the divide is is a little bit greater than I've seen it before, where you have guys that are doing really well here and they're going up and then they, they experience, you know, struggles. Um, for whatever reason, I'm, uh, just like everything, everything is individual player dependent. So you can't just put all the guys in a box and say, well, the, the divide is so huge. But for the most part, I would have to agree with that sentiment. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, you, you see certain guys and you go, wow, this guy's hitting 400. Wow, this guy's hitting 380. There are bombs everywhere. And then, you know, they come up and that, that, that doesn't happen. Just wanted to get your opinion on that. Waldachuk, another guy in from the Yankee trade. St. Mary's here 
in the Bay Area. What have we seen from him, and how does he look when we talk about being potentially big league ready? Yeah, you know, stuff-wise, uh, he's got great stuff. Um, he's got a good fastball that, that plays a little bit up from the, the velocity, which is good already. Uh, he's got a good breaking ball, a good changeup. It, it's just a matter of time with him, and he just needs to be, ref, you know, refined a little bit and uh, to smooth up, smooth out the edges. And I, I think when he does get his first opportunity in the major leagues, he's he's going to be a good one because he knows what he's doing, and you can tell what a competitor he is, and you can you can tell that he's got a really bright future ahead of him just based on his his couple starts that he's had here so far. How is Christian Pache doing? Pache is really working hard and making the adjustments that's going to get him back to the big leagues and, and keep him a productive player in the big leagues. You know, everyone knows about his defense and, and how elite that is and, and how much pride he takes in, in his defense. And he, he's really doing the same thing offensively as far as trying to make the adjustments to use the whole field, to, to get a good pitch to hit and not miss it, and to, to not expand. And there's there's been a lot of positive flashes with Christian, and uh, I, I think it's only going to get better the more at bats he gets, and the fact that he's getting these at bats and, and a little bit less of a, a pressure cooker, I think is going to help his career because you know you remember that, that he's a pretty young kid, and he's got tremendous ability, tremendous physicality, and he's going to be a really good player for a really long time. Uh, he's just doing a really nice job here of working towards the adjustments that he knows he needs to make. Take us through that. So you have a player that was up at the big league level. We know has talent. We hope he's a big part of our future. He struggles. He gets sent back down. I'm sure David Force and everybody talked to you about what he needs to work on to try and get him back to the big league level. Just take us through that process, how it works with the Oakland A's. Well, the communication with uh, not only the front office but the major league coaching staff is very good uh, when a player goes goes down or gets called up. And that's something that is very important as far as the development of the player when they get sent down, whether it's a pitcher and we're getting notes and videos and recommendations of drills from Emo, or if it's a hitter, we're, we'll hear from, you know, Cots and Tommy and, and Crony about the – the things that they're working on to make them successful and what they need to do once they get to triple a to execute those plans. And then when a player gets sent down from triple a, you know, they come to my office, Hey, how you doing friend? Hey, good. My first question is always, okay, what's next? What are we going to do? How are we going to get you to where you want to go? How are we going to get you back to the big leagues? Uh, What are the things that, that you need to focus on that's going to help your career. That's going to help your progression. That's going to help your development. And then holding them accountable to do those things. And the, the players that come with the attitude of, okay, I'm here, let's go, let's work, let's, let's grind, those are the ones that don't stay here long. And those are the ones that when they, they go back up, you hope that the work they put in here in the minor leagues has prepared them to be productive major league players. And I think we've seen that quite a bit here. You know, just uh, um, – over the course of the season, over the course of the time I've been in AAA, it's something that's very important because I don't want these guys here any more than they want to be here. You know, Las Vegas is a great place to play, great stadium, yeah. great town, but they want to be in the big leagues. So I think it's important that we have that communication with the big league front office, the big league staff, and we can get them on the right path to get them back to where they want to be, which is 
playing in the major leagues. It's such an interesting job, and it's so important, and it's so rewarding. I mean, here you are. You still have to manage. You still want to win games. I mean, where you guys are in second place, you're about to start getting ready for playoffs and everything. But your job, as you know it, and what you want more than anything is to help this player live out his dreams in the big leagues. It's like your job is like, man, I'm trying to help you get to your dreams. That's like such a cool part of your job. Yeah. We talked quite a bit about this over the the years and and it's the best part of the job. It it is the most rewarding part of the job. Um, And to, to use a metaphor, it's like a double edged sword, except one side of the sword is much sharper than the other. And that side is getting the players to the big leagues. And the other side of the sword is winning and creating a winning atmosphere so that when they go up, they're also winning baseball players that can help Oakland win games. And you, you just said it perfectly. It is the most rewarding part of the job. And I, I think that the two go hand in hand. Just one is a little bit more important than the other. And that's the development of the player so he can be a productive major leaguer. There's other guys who are having good seasons for you. Who are some of the guys you think potentially, and we're about to hit September too with some call-ups, who do you think the guys that potentially could be coming up? Well, I, I mean, I, I, we, we lack the blue-chip prospects uh, that, that um, really could be in that conversation now that, now that Shea has made the, made the move to the major leagues. But, you know, we, fight, we, we have a lot of guys having great years. You look at uh, Vince Fernandez. You look at Nate Mondu. Billy McKinney has, has done nothing but really, really positive things since he got sent back to AAA. Um, you know, like you said, we have uh, – Waldachuk, who's who's getting close to being ready, uh, Garrett Acton, you know, a guy with a, a high nineties fastball and a pretty good changeup and slider that, you know, is just trying to work work to tighten up some things in his in his command and hopefully he'll be ready soon. But it doesn't just stop with the guys that have gone up in the last couple of weeks. I think we have some other guys that can help the major league team here as well. And then, of course, it's also about winning games. And boy, you got a fantastic ballpark. You got the great fan base. And as you said, you're in SAC. You're going to have a day off on Thursday. And then Sacramento comes to town. Uh, a couple weeks left in August and then September. And it's playoff time. I mean, how's your ball club looking right now? Are you starting getting in that? All right, we're starting to see the finish line. And the finish line, well, at the end of the finish line, is playoffs. Well, that's the mentality here, and that's that's you know every day that's the the focus that we have. We've had a lot of uh, roster flux in the in the last month, two months, pretty much all season. But that's to be expected in a AAA season. And the mentality is whoever is here is who we have. So let's go, let's go and compete, and let's go and and play hard every inning, every out until the last out is made. And that's the mentality that that we're always going to have. Yeah, you know, if, if we can go on a little run here and make make some some ground up against Reno, I think we're going to put ourselves in a good spot to be there at the end. I know it may sound weird, but I love that because it's like as a coaching staff, we're always coaching, we're always preparing to win. Guys are going to come up, guys are going to go down, but who's ever in these uniforms should know you're getting a hell of an opportunity. And everybody needs to seize the moment. And when do you seize that moment? You seize it today. You seize it tomorrow. Whenever I ask you, whenever I put you in the lineup. I, to me, I know some people would hate that, but I'm like, man, this is the land of opportunity. Let's go get it. 
That, that's exactly what it is. And that's what we talk about here all the time is opportunity and the opportunity that each person in that clubhouse has been given on any given day, whether they're in the starting lineup, whether they're coming out of the bullpen, whether they're taking the bump for the, for the start. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You always have to be ready and you always have to be ready to perform at a championship major league level. And that's the goal of uh, this ball club every day. Well, it's always fantastic to have you on the program. And I know every single time we have these guys come up, they say nothing but the best about you. You mean a lot to them. And uh, Shea making his debut, another guy uh, living his dreams. And hopefully he'll be here for a long, long time. Good luck the rest of the way. And we'll talk to you come playoff time. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care. Take it easy. The great Fran Reardon joined us here on A's Cast Live. There you go. Leader of men. A lot of positive things. A lot of good players. A lot of young players to take away from that besides Shea Langoliers. I'm excited next for Ken Wall to check, but let's not worry about the future. Let's worry about the present and what's going JP on. J.P. Sears. J.P. Sears. Why I'm excited. Uh, I lose track. What do we have coming up? Uh, Eric Nadell in 10 minutes. You can get back into, we can either talk about David Ortiz or what you were talking about with James Caprillion. Caprillion. Or David Ortiz. Actually, we got to get into David Ortiz. That's pretty. Uh, where is it? Did you, you sent it to me, right? Did you put it in the playbook? Yeah, I, I can read you the quote for what he said. Hold on, I got it. MLB needs to have some regulations before they made public news like one that happened to Tatis Jr., I think they haven't handled this situation the right way. We can't kill our product. We're talking about an amazing player. What? He passed. I mean, he did not pass a drug test. He has a performance-enhancing drug in his system when he took the test. You get suspended the first time for 80 games. What the hell are you talking about? What are they supposed to do, Big Poppy? Hide it? Act like it didn't happen? There wasn't a grand... There was no grand thing. News got out. Press release. Padres got to deal with it. How else would you handle it? Sounds like you kind of want to cover it up. You mean like the test, the anonymous test that all the players took and guys who tested positive, it was never supposed to reach the light of day, but we found out you were the one of the guys that tested positive? Oh, and if we look at your career, kind of makes sense? Why a nobody all of a sudden is hitting all these home runs? But you're a likable guy, and everybody liked you. No one liked Bonds. Guys didn't like Clemens. So, you know, end up not liking McGuire for some reason. Now y'all love Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa was doing commercials. McGuire were doing commercials. But all of a sudden, we threw them all under the bus. But we like Big Poppy. How, how else are they supposed to handle it? They didn't have a parade. They didn't celebrate it. They just told you, and they have to announce it that he has failed a drug test. It's a test for drugs in your system. 
drugs that you're not allowed to take that's been collectively bargained. The players' union that represents the players have agreed that all these dis- all these different substances cannot be taken and put in your body as long as you're under contract as a Major League Baseball player. As long as you have signed a Major League Baseball contract, you cannot take these substances. It's been agreed upon. Owners agreed on it. Players agreed on it. If you fail a test, you are immediately suspended for 80 games. Let me read. After I have said that, let me read it again. Big Poppy. MLB needs to have some regulations before they made public news like one that happened to Tatis Jr. I think they haven't handled the situation the right way. We can't kill our product. We're talking about an amazing player. What is he talking about? What regulations? Yeah, I don't. I didn't like it when I sent it. When I first saw that, and it was from Hector Gomez on Twitter. When I first saw that, I I did not like the way that sounded. It just, it's hypocrisy at its best. Like you're, you're what if this wasn't Tatis? What if this was somebody else? What if this wasn't a star player? He didn't complain about Ramon Laureano or Frankie Montas. Exactly. But it's a star player. Star player. Star Dominican player. How are we supposed to handle it differently? Are we supposed to just have him go away and no one say why? Like what, what? 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 It's not Major League Baseball's responsibility to explain why he tests positive. That's not their responsibility. They're not the PR machine. He is the player represented by the Players Association. It's their job to put out the spin, which they have, and it's been horrific. Major League Baseball conducts the test. You failed. You let people know he's failed a test. He's suspended for 80 games. These are the rules that were agreed upon by Major League Baseball and the Baseball's Players Association. That's in the collective bargaining agreement, the CBA. So how do you handle it differently, Big Pop? Because he's a star player. What should we do? How do we handle it differently? Baseball's got to explain why he took a steroid. Baseball's got to explain why he should be suspended. Baseball's got to explain why they came together with these joint rules. Joint means both the players' union and the team. Why we use all these substances on, on this list. He's a big boy, as I said earlier. He's a grown man. He's a grown enough man to sign a 14-year contract. He's grown enough to know what he puts in his body. He has enough money to have people around him to look at every medicine, every vitamin, every little thing that he takes to say, can I take this? It's BS, and I'm saying that kindly, all this stuff they're spinning. So big, Poppy, as a guy who pretty much Everybody knows you got away with it. Are you saying he should get away with it? And why should he get away with it? Because he's a hotshot young player who was on the video game? He's a countryman? I mean, why? Because now he can't play in the World Baseball Classic. What? Why should he get away with it? 
Or how should they handle it? Like, all they do is they tell you and they suspend you. What what should they do differently? Yeah, there's nothing really you can do. I think he's just taking this because it's a star player and he doesn't want to see a guy suspended for 80 games. A-Rod sold it perfectly. I made a mistake. I knew I wasn't going to the Hall of Fame. Now he's not going to go into the Hall of Fame. But is that true, though? Think about it now. If David Ortiz is coming out saying this, it's Fernando Tatis. Say he comes back and he has a great next 12 years when he comes back after next year after missing 42 games or whatever it is. And he stays on that Hall of Fame track. Is he going to get in the Hall of Fame? Because we saw Ortiz get in. We can't kill our product. We're talking about amazing player. We can't kill our product. I mean, he's basically insinuating, do we have to tell people? Do we have to tell people? Do we have to suspend this guy? Like, can't? I mean, what else is he saying? Yeah. If it's anybody else, I think if it's not a star player like Fernand, like Nando, I don't. I don't think he says a thing. But what's he saying? Like when he's saying we can't kill our product, hide it? Are we supposed to hide that he tested positive for a steroid? Is he not supposed to be suspended because he's a star player? Wow. Tells you everything you need to know about David Ortiz, the Hall of Famer, Eric Nadell. Next, right here on A's Cast Live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. A's and Rangers tonight. I want to say Kohei Arihara. Am I saying that correctly? I hope I am. I believe you are. I haven't looked at the uh, the guide on how to say it on baseball reference. but It says Kohei Arihara is what it says. But I can ask Eric Nadell. Three and six, 18 games, 14 starts for AAA Round Rock. Didn't Nolan Ryan own Round Rock? Correct. I believe he did. He doesn't own it anymore? Weren't they called the Rolling Rock Express? Or Rolling, yeah, the Round Rock Express. Yeah, or something it, like that back in the day. Yeah. That's Nolan Ryan right there, the Hall of Famer. As the A's, you know, I, I've stayed away from, you know, the nine in a row, thirty-four games, thirty-four games under five hundred. That is, uh, that is the uh, that's where we're at right now, which is not good. Do we have the Hall of Famer? How are you, Eric? How are you? I'm doing great, Chris. So, in Texas Ranger land, we, we've had a lot go on lately. It's been very interesting there for you guys. Uh, that's one word to describe it, yeah. <laughs> Managerial changes are always interesting. Were you shocked by it? No, there were signs it was coming. Uh, I'm not sure anybody was expecting the exact timing of it. You know, we all kind of thought that Woody would be permitted to manage out the rest of the season and see if he could get the team going on some kind of a run. And the powers that be decided that that's uh, not what they had in mind. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I know we, we, we talked to you earlier in the season where we understood that Seeger and Simeon signed these big deals, but there was more to come this coming off season to try and add pitching and really try and, and compete. How much was it the win-loss record? We we heard rumblings about the the the, the record in, in one-run games. What what do you think the tipping point was here? I think the main thing was uh, one-loss record was the key. You know, the front office thought they had at least put together a 500 club, and when the move was made, the Rangers were 12 games under. Uh, since the All-Star break, you know, the Rangers had not played well. Not only were they four games under 500 since the All-Star break, but they were playing very sloppy baseball. And I think that's where the, the powers that be decided they, they needed, you know, what they always say, a change in atmosphere, a change in voice, a change in the environment. And sometimes it shocks a team into playing better. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, apparently they had already decided that Chris Woodward was not the guy they wanted to manage the team next year when they expect to have a contending team. And if they've already decided that, then why not take a look at Tony Beasley as a manager for the last 48 games of the season? The guy who's been our third base coach for eight years is beloved in the clubhouse, you know, and was a longtime minor league manager who deserves a shot. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, we we got to see Tony yesterday. Don't know much about him. No, he's been on the staff for a long time. Just to, exactly who is Tony? Well, he's a great guy. He was a career minor leaguer in the Pittsburgh organization, you know, who worked in their organization as a minor league manager for quite a while. And then in the Washington Nationals organization for a while, actually coached third base at the big league level for Washington under Frank Robinson several years ago. And then came over here uh, with Jeff Bannister, uh, who had been in the Pittsburgh organization, became our third base coach, and has been our third base coach ever since. He's an inspiring story. He missed the entire 2016 season due to rectal cancer. Uh, he beat it, and he's been healthy since. And uh, a guy who's uh, kind of an inspirational force in the Ranger clubhouse and in the dugout. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does as a major league manager, you know, talking to him today, last night was the first time he had actually managed a game where he didn't have to go out and coach third base when his team was <laughs> you know, doing the hitting. So uh, it's extremely different than uh, any managing that he's done in the past. Oh yeah. He's used to being in full control. Absolutely. But also used to not having the kind of information he has now and not having all these assistant coaches who are able to feed him information every time there's a decision to be made or something anticipated, you know, to be happening in the next few innings. You know, you said something, and I write airs for each team in my scorebook because we have a lot of fancy analytics. We got a lot of fancy data that tries to tell us why and why not teams are doing well. But you can look at teams' records. You can look at how pitching staffs are doing and just look. How many errors have you made? Where do you rank in errors? And the A's are just like the Rangers. They have not been good defensively. And when you're not good defensively, you can have all these great offensive numbers. You can have all these other numbers. But, Eric, you've been in this game a long time. If you can't pick it up, catch it, and throw it, it's going to be a long season. Exactly right. And especially when you don't have a great pitching staff, you know, you don't have the ability to pitch around the errors. And that's one of the things the Rangers have run into this year. You know, the other, there are all kinds of defensive metrics now. And, you know, I don't pay attention to 
that many of them. But the one that's easy to digest is defensive runs saved. And the one thing I noticed in looking at the leaders team-wise in defensive runs saved is that the top eight teams in defensive runs saved are all in playoff positions. All eight. The bottom 10 teams in defensive runs saved, which includes the Rangers and the Athletics, are not in playoff positions. That's pretty simple in uh, showing you how important team defense is. Yeah, we actually made history. I don't know if you guys are seeing this in the notes, but with this nine-game losing streak, that's three different losing streaks this season of at least nine games. The only other team in A's history to do this, you got to go back to 1937, the Philadelphia Athletics. So things have been rough, and unfortunately with a loss tonight can be 30 games under 500. But going back to defense, you know, everybody talked about our pitching. Everybody talked about hitting home runs in the good years with Bob Melvin. What they didn't talk about enough, but Melvin always did, was how good the A's were defensively. And all those playoff years under Melvin, we were always one of the best. Yeah, and, you know, you always had the defensive cornerstones, you know, with the two mats at first and third. And, you know, first base, to me, is the key to the whole infield. The Rangers are going through that, too. You know, Nate Lowe's had a tremendous year offensively, but he ranks at the very bottom in terms of defensive runs saved as a first baseman. Uh, A good first baseman, as you guys saw with Matt Olson, the Rangers saw for many years with Mitch Moreland, makes all your other infielders good. He saves them a lot of errors. And, you know, your guys have gone through a a million first basemen this year, uh, none of whom have been outstanding defensively. And uh, I'm sure that's one of the reasons that the team defense, you know, is as ugly as it has been. You know, in the case of both the Rangers and the A's, you put a premier defensive first baseman out there and uh, it changes everything. Yeah, I think for Texas, the rest of the year, it's a wash. You're kind of like where we are. Hey, let's just find guys that can get seasoned, Go into the offseason, knowing it's like to be a big leaguer, ready to try and compete for jobs in spring training. But the difference between the A's and the Rangers, Rangers sounds like there's going to be money to spend. So is the direction now, let's find some young guys, but then money to spend this offseason. Yeah, another difference, Chris, is the Rangers pretty much have their lineup set. You know, they're very happy with their position players. You know, they've got some young guys who are trying to prove they belong. So far, it looks like they do. You know, they also have their number one position player prospect, Josh Young, finally playing after missing the first four months of the season, you know, with an elbow injury. He's playing at AAA now, and my guess is he'll be up in the big leagues, you know, sometime in September. Uh, But the pitching staff's another matter for the Rangers. They've got to put together a starting rotation. You know, they've had Martin Perez pitch great. John Gray has pitched great when he's been healthy enough to pitch, but he's been on the injured list three times. You know, Dane Dunning has been okay. He basically hasn't been any better than he was last year when he was, you know, an average major league starter at best. And then the fourth and fifth spots, you know, have been occupied by rookies who were just trying to show that they belong. Um, In the bullpen, the Rangers had had inconsistencies. So that's where they really need to make some major changes before next year. You know, I don't have to ask you about Marcus Simeon. He's salt of the earth. We love him and we'll always love him. But when you sign guys to long-term deals, they become faces of franchises. Uh, We're already talking about the issues with Tatis Jr. in San Diego right now. That's just a dumpster fire. So far, what have you learned about Corey Seager? Because you're going to have him a long time. 
Well, the thing with Seeger and, and Simeon is they're both um, they're, they both seem to be quiet leaders. You know, they're not the kind of fiery guy who the Rangers got when they signed Will Clark, for example, you know, years ago. Uh, they're guys who are more leading by example type of guys. And the thing with Corey is uh, he, like Simeon, I believe has been hurt by the fact that we haven't had a premier defensive first baseman. You know, both those guys have far more errors than they should have because a, a whole bunch of throws haven't been scooped out of the dirt or hauled in when they've been wide. But I would have to say that, you know, in both cases, uh, the guys have been uh, somewhat disappointing in both their offensive performance and their defensive performance. Yeah, you know, so so many times we just don't talk about defensive first base unless you got like a really good one, right? And we had one with Matt Olson. I mean, too many times everybody's worried about home runs and your offensive production, but got to have a good defensive catcher, got to have a good defensive first baseman. Let's end on this. I want to just get your opinion on this because one of the hottest conversations has been the AL MVP. You got a guy like Aaron Judge playing in center field, playing in right field, a little bit DH putting up monster numbers versus Shohei Otani, who's pitching, but DHing, and you're just looking at who is the MVP. One guy's on a good team. One guy's on a bad team. A judge's war is bigger than Otani's war, even though judge doesn't pitch. When you look at it and you look at American League MVP, we got a long way to go, but how do you see it so far? It's an easy decision for me. It's judge all the way. Um, all the things that you mentioned, you know, being valuable to a first place team compared to being valuable to a fourth place team. That's what 14, 15 games under 500. Uh, it would be different if there wasn't a guy having the kind of year that Aaron judge is having. If you take judge out of the equation and now you're talking about Otani versus Jose Ramirez or Otani versus Jordan uh, Alvarez, you know, those discussions are interesting conversations for me, you know, who's number two, but for me, Aaron judge is uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. I don't mean that as a pun. He is the Hall of Famer, the Ford C. Frick Award winner, the great, the great Eric Nadell joining us here on A's Cast Live. You know how much we always appreciate your time, especially before a game. Have a great call and enjoy the rest of the series. Thanks, great. I appreciate you having me, Chris. Eric Nadell, who also loves coming to the Bay Area because he's got to get his Chinese food. I actually told uh, Harry's my, Hunan. I actually told my wife that we need to try there because he always talks about it. So it's fabulous. Like, I need to go there in the city next time. I don't get to the city very often, but I do want to try Henry's Hunan. And Vince actually told me which one they go to, which one to visit. So, um, judge all the way. I don't. Uh, I can't disagree with him. I mean, I don't. I mean, uh, what Otani's doing is great. He pitched last night. The Angels had a huge debacle in the ninth inning, and that's well. I mean, they're they're bad anyway. So, but what happened in the ninth inning last night was. I I went and looked at it last night. I don't even know if it's still up on my computer. I should have a. I you know what? I'm going to be honest. Can I be honest with the with with, with the uh, AA's public out there? I should have more going on in my life. I should. <laughs> I should be better than this. Than at night. When two things, I'm going to get into two things I did last night. And boy, you're going to go, Townsend, you need to get a life. One is I looked up the game logs for Shohei Otani. This brilliance of Shohei Otani. It is, it's great. I hate to, to dig into it, but that's what we do. 
How many times will you call six innings a great start? Well, they consider a quality start six innings if you go six and three runs or less. That's a quality. That's not great. That's a quality. Quality and great are two different words. Ten years ago, no. Current baseball, probably yes. Great? Oh, you're you're wrong. All right, here you go. Six innings or less. You ready for Shohei Otani? And by the way, he doesn't pitch every five days throughout the season. Let's throw that out there. Four and two-thirds. Three and two-thirds. Six, five, seven, six, 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 three, seven, six, eight, five and two-thirds, seven, six, six and a third, six, five and two-thirds, six, six. Those are all his starts. Four times. Four times he goes after six innings. Four. And I'm not counting the six and a third. Four times. Doesn't go every day. I mean, doesn't go every five days. And, by the way, where are these uh, – his seven innings on July 6th were against Miami. His seven innings on June 9th was against Boston. You remember how bad Boston was offensively? Uh, they haven't got much better. Uh, his other seven was against Boston, awful offensively. Who was the eight against? Was against Kansas City. Marlins, Red Sox, Royals are the only time he's gone past six. You're impressed by that? With the way we evaluate pitchers today, I mean, that's – how many guys are going six? We have a guy on the A's that hasn't gone in the sixth inning and 30 – or seventh inning and 30 starts. I'm not saying he's an MVP. I know. I know what you're saying. How many starts? I think Otani's made 20 starts. Verlander's made 21. 19 starts, I believe. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What is it, what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it? That's right there. 20 starts. So he is, and Verlander's starting 22nd today. So he has two less starts than Verlander. So everybody right, he doesn't pitch every, they had a six-man rotation for a while. Yeah. How many strikeouts? He has 165 strikeouts on the year. I don't care. Everybody strikes out. Strike out less guys and go deeper in games. How about that? You want to be the MVP? There's a reason why Judge has a higher war, because Judge is put more into the box score than Otani is. I, that's what you, I keep pointing to you, and when I point to Cody, it's like I'm pointing to all you metrics people. You said how important war is. It takes your entire game. Why is Judge have a higher war? Because he's doing more. That was good for judging baseball players. So you wonder why Judge has a higher war because he's doing more. Because your guy, Otani, too many five and a third. It's there, man. It's there. And every once in a while, he pops out a seven, and you're like, hey, he went seven versus the Marlins or the Royals. I think Sarah brought up a great point yesterday. Sarah Langs of MLB.com. If he keeps doing this every year, we're going to have this discussion every single year with him. Well, I mean, the odds are he won't. Yeah, well, I mean. And then it'll start to break down, and then it'll be all the. But it's 
I mean, he's in his prime, so you got to get out of him. Am I trying to save him for 33 years old? When he no. might, when he probably won't even be on the Angels. And- when he'll be a reliever, he'll be a reliever by then. Mark my words. Closer or reliever? I don't even know if we'll have relievers. I, I don't even know what pitching looks like. To my James Caprillion, that so that's what I was looking at last night because I'm trying to figure out how does a guy who hit and pitch how does he has WAR less than Judge? Well, there you go. How much you want to bet if he had way more seven inning games that his WAR would be higher than Judge? I don't know how much that because he's not he's you're not your WAR is not on whether you win or lose your win win loss record. Yeah, like uh, let me look. Your war is based off your innings, your strikeouts. Your, it's all your, all the stuff adds up, right? Like at bats, home runs, doubles, triples, RBI, all that stuff adds up. It's it's a math equation. Met, metrics, no matter how you do it, sabermetrics, the data, the percentages, it's all math. The more you do, the better it is. Yeah, I'm looking at Dylan Cease because it's him and Verlander tonight. Cease will be making his 24th start. He has 128 and two-thirds innings pitched this year. He has – Nine more strikeouts than Otani. He has more walks, but he also has pitched more games. So, but he has more innings. So, and his WAR is four point four. I think Otani's two two. As a pitcher going into last night, Otani's was two two. Well, I thought it was the other way around. I thought his pitching was higher than his hitting. Well, that was hitting was like one something. I may be wrong. Uh, I can't remember. You gave me two numbers. Let me look at it because it would have been updated since it would have been updated since yesterday because Otani pitched yesterday. So let's look at pitching real quick. Oh, by the way, I'm I'm nervous. Sandy's at 170 something innings on the year. He's on shut pace. him down. He's on pace for 235. So I'm Alcantara, gonna... shut him down. You might have to put him in the hospital. You know what? Here's the deal. You know what I do with Sandy Al- Alcantara? You know what I do? 3.8, by the way, more for Otani pitching. Do you know what I do with Sandy? I put him in a bubble. Do you ever see the Bubble Boy with John Travolta? Uh, no. When he had to live in a bubble because he had no immune system. No, but I know that there was an episode of Seinfeld about the Bubble Boy too. Put Sandy Alcantara in a bubble all off season. By the way, BK today called him Alcantara. I go off with their play-by-play guys. I go off what baseball reference. Baseball reference. Yeah, uh, Sandy's WAR is six point seven. As by the pitch. way, Brian Kinney butchers names. He's trying. But Northeast people butcher names all the time. <laughs> uh, Mad Dog, our guy Mad Dog, butchers names all the time. Was he on high heat today? Didn't get to see because uh, I just saw only uh, Alana at the end. 6.7 for Sandy. Otani's is 3.8. Okay, where's Dylan Cease? Dylan Cease is fourth in baseball at 4.4. Okay, Dylan Cease has a better war pitching than Otani because he's got more to put into his math equation. He's got more games. What's the innings compared? I think it was 117 to 128. So he's 11 more innings, but he's made three more. This will be he's made two more starts. Three more starts. It's math. It's simple math. Well, he's it's al- not simple math. It's very complicated, the equation. But the more you put into the equation, the higher your war is going to be. He also has gone, I have it. I want to I want to throw other And And also the less screw-ups. So you you the less earned runs, the less, I mean, it's just all the stuff that they put in there. Cease has allowed one or fewer runs in 14 straight starts, the longest such streak since earned runs became official. I, I, I got to get into Caprillion because yeah. what time do I have to be out of here by? Seven more minutes. All right, here you go. So Vince Catronio in the postgame show said to me, I think talking about innings and, you know, being the guy, Vince said, I think Cap has it in him. 
And I'm walking last night, and I thought about that. And I thought about what's the problem. Why has Cap gone 30 straight starts of six innings or less? Not something to brag about. That's like not that. That's not no. And I thought about this, and you can tell me whether I, I'm I'm wrong or not. The problem for James Caprillion is his main growing years as a young professional coming out of UCLA were all basically rehab years. He was just basically a rehab guy. And you can't learn to be the guy when you're hurt all the time. You can't have the bravado. You can't be the man. People can't look at you as the man when you're always the guy that's hurt. And then once he finally gets healthy, he's got a COVID year where he's hanging out at an alternate site where all you're doing is practicing. So he lost all these years to where this is where you become the dude. This is where you learn to be the guy. You're the leader of the staff. You're badass. I'm going for Cy Young's. I got stuff. I'm a number one. I'm a number two. I'm going to get paid. This is my living. I'm a Major League Baseball starting pitcher. Hear me roar. Well, he was either rehabbing, and then when he kind of had that shot and he got traded by the Yankees here, still rehabbing, and then I'm feeling good, and bang, COVID hits, and he's sitting in San Jose at an A-ball facility for an entire year other than his quick call-up. That's it. And now you're asking a guy, or I'm asking a guy, and maybe it's not fair of me because I watch him walk around. I observe. I know I talk a lot, but I actually watch and sit back a lot. And Kaeper and Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. He, eight, threw, he threw hard in Nevada. 833-625-2278. Um, I took enough Kaepernick calls in my career. Caprillion walks around like he's the dude. We see that. You hear it sometimes in post-game interviews, sharpening his pencil and all this kind of stuff, and you're like, you went five innings. He's averaging 5.04 innings this year. I think it's 5.02. I mean, the major league average is 5.21 right now. So he's right out. He's a little under it. He's under the average. Average. So maybe it's unfair, but you're trying to ask a guy to be the guy and learn it at the age of 28 when you're supposed to learn this a while ago, right? You're supposed to learn when you're the guy, no matter what sport it is, as a quarterback, by the time you're 28, you're supposed to be the leader of the franchise. You're not supposed to be learning how to be the leader of the franchise. You are the leader of the franchise. When you're 28 years old, you're not trying to figure out how to score in an NBA game. You're a scorer. Hockey, you're a goal scorer at 28. You're in your prime, man. You're 28. You're not learning it. You already got it. And that, to me, is the problem for James Caprillion. Those growth years when he was supposed to, 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 to learn to be the guy were robbed from him. His body let him down, and then once his body was okay to go, COVID hit, and he's sitting in San Jose. Tough one. 
And, you know, he was traded. Let's face it. The A's turned it around when he was traded. So the A's, the A's weren't like they are now. The A's were fighting for postseason. You're a guy that's hurt, and I don't know what you can give me. You're not coming up. We need guys who can play. We got a rotation. We're going to the playoffs. So when he was traded for Sonny Gray, the A's were looking towards the future. Well, when they were looking at their future, once again, he's hurt. And when he's finally ready to go, the A's got their starters, and you're going to San Jose to the alternate site. So James Caprillion never got the opportunity as a young professional to learn to be a number one. And you can strut around and do all that kind of, but at some point, you know, you got you can't be averaging five innings. I mean, that means every single time you start, I'm going, I'm gonna need at least four. If not five or six to get this thing to the house. And that affects me for next day. That affects me the day before. Because once my starter the day before doesn't go, and I have a lead and I have to pitch my good guys. I, and, and and Cap's leaving the next day with a lead, and i got to pitch him again. And then what happens to tomorrow? Starters start don't giving you innings multiple days. You're screwed. And it hurts you for a week or even more. I just looked uh his career so far. Uh, how many times do you think he's gone over 100 innings? Never. He did it last year. He's at 95. Oh, oh, I, like, I, I, oh. you're looking at the – I was going to say minor leagues. Oh, yeah, minor, minor leagues. No, the last time he did it prior to last year was – UCLA. 20, 2015 when he was 21 at UCLA. Yeah. I mean, his most innings pitched in the minor leagues, he had 68 in 2019 with Vegas, low at uh, Stockton, and Midland. It's crazy. He never got a chance. His body failed him, and then once his body didn't fail him, there wasn't room. Yeah, he went from – 2016 being, a, you know, the guy coming out of UCLA for the Yankees to being traded to the A's. He didn't pitch from 2016 until 2019. These are the years you're supposed to learn, right? You're supposed to learn how to be a pro, how to be the guy. And so when we call you up, you know, you're, you're the, every five days, it's win day. And right now, because I think even people believe that Caprillion's young. I think people I think I think if you didn't listen to this show and somebody asked you, "Hey, how old is James Caprillion?" I bet people would probably say, "Oh, he's got probably like 24, 25." He's 28. When's his birthday? Uh, let me go back and check. Um, his birthday is He'll be 29. He won't be 29 until March. Spring training is 29. Yeah. 29. I guarantee you most people in the fan base, if you polled the fan base, I bet most people think he's about 25, 26. Probably, yeah. He's 29. Should we get this piece of news out for Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. is important. Uh, from Matt Kawahara, who covers the A's, obviously, for the Chronicle. Uh, Paul Blackburn will be shut down for the rest of the season after seeing a specialist about the inflammation in his middle finger of his pitching hand. That was from Mark Kotsik's uh, media availability earlier. So, Paul Blackburn shut down the rest of the year. More details... Coming up next on A's Total Access. Great show today, Cody. Great show. You did a fantastic job. Well, you're the one that carried it. I just I get the people to come on. Can't have Actually, th- thank you, Roxy Bernstein, for helping us out with Steve Rodriguez. Steve Rodriguez, Shay Langelier's head coach at Baylor. Fantastic. Fran Reardon, 
Fran, I mean, Fran's, Fran and I are boys, so I just, Fran, we need you today. The greatness of Fran Reardon and the Hall of Famer for the Texas Rangers, Eric Nadell. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Up next, A's Total Access, getting you ready for the Rangers and the A's. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.